大家晚上好，这里是正在为您直播的。Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. Hello, I'm Ruth Kirchner. Thanks for joining me. If you're listening from Beijing, you have noticed, of course, that it's party time again. The 19th Congress of the Communist Party kicks off this week. While much of the focus is on China's elite politics, the gathering is also an opportunity to take stock of five years of Xi Jinping rule. Today, I want to examine how Xi's international role has changed in the past five years. Under Xi, China has assumed a much more visible and active role on the international stage. But to what end, and what are the risks and costs? With me to discuss these questions is Professor Willy Lam of the Chinese University of Hong Kong, an expert on China and the author of numerous books. Welcome, Professor Lam. Now, at home, Xi Jinping wants to be seen as the core leader. Where does he actually see himself on the international stage? Well, one of Xi Jinping's major slogans, and one which is,、uh, I think, most、uh, easily understood by、uh, both Chinese and foreigners, is, is the Chinese dream. Well, the Chinese dream is a、um, supernationalist aspiration. That means to restore China's traditional place as the Middle Kingdom of the world. Xi Jinping is not shy about the fact that, at least by 2049, that means the centenary of the foundation of the People's Republic, China will have emerged as a full-fledged superpower. China will have closed the distance、uh, economically and militarily with the U.S. So this is very important for the Communist Party because after the death of socialism and communism in the early 90s, there are only two. Pillars of legitimacy left by the CCP, which does not have a ballot box legitimacy. So one is constant economic growth at a high rate, which nobody thinks is possible. Particularly the fact that、uh, I think several years ago the Chinese economic miracle ended. So the second pillar of nationalism has assumed more significance. So the Communist Party's narrative has always been that well, China suffered one and a half centuries of humiliation at the hands of、uh, the imperialistic powers. So Mao Zedong made Chinese stand up, and、uh, Xi Jinping, who sees himself as the Mao Zedong of the twenty-first century, so it is Xi Jinping's grand mission to achieve international leadership. And I think in the past one two years. Uh, Xi Jinping has benefited tremendously by the、uh, world leadership vacuum、uh, left by、um, President Donald Trump. So Donald Trump is not trusted by many international leaders, including the several leaders of the European Union.、Uh, he is isolationist. He's against、uh, trade globalization.、Uh, he's against、uh, fighting climate change and so forth. So that's why Xi Jinping has been very、uh, aggressive. In uh, projecting uh, himself as a potential、uh, world leader, and also the Xi Jinping leadership as a whole, as a possible、uh, rule setter、uh, in the international setting.、Uh, But where where did you see evidence of that? Because at the recent UN General Assembly, Xi Jinping was absent, while、uh, Donald Trump made. International headlines with、um, his rhetoric of America first and his threats against North Korea. Xi Jinping didn't even turn up. So,、uh, where do you see evidence that、uh, China or Xi Jinping, for that matter, is really ready to assume that new leadership role? Well, actually, Xi Jinping started from day one、uh, when he assumed power in late 2012. 
to start projecting both hard and soft power, particularly economic power uh, in the form of very generous overseas development aid to um, developing countries in Africa, in Asia, and so forth. Several years ago, China overtook the U.S. as the largest investor in um, Africa. And uh, of course, uh, one of the few really original ideas of Xi Jinping has been this um, One Belt, One Road, Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, even though it is a multi-decade endeavor, and at this stage, if we look at the more eye-catching projects which have been talked about, these projects mainly consist in Chinese uh, overseas development aid instead of a uh, what Xi Jinping calls a, a win-win, uh, 50-50 joint ventures with um, countries involved. So this year, uh, Xi Jinping was very active in several inter- international forums, including, of course, the um, World Economic Forum in January, and uh, the G20 meeting in Hamburg, and, and various meetings, including the most recent one, the BRICS uh, summit, which was held in China just early this month. However, we, we also need to remember that in China, uh, foreign affairs, including overseas uh, power projection, uh, is closely related to uh, domestic issues. So Xi Jinping's absence at the United Nations Assembly was interesting because he had problems to sort out domestically. Uh, the 90 Party Congress is coming up, and despite widespread reports that uh, he has asserted his authority as the uh, paramount leader, and uh, he is going to fill major uh, councils such as the Politburo, the Central Committee, with its policies and so forth. Uh, he is meeting uh, challenges from his uh, domestic foes. And uh, even more importantly, I think, is the prospect of the Chinese economy, because at this stage, the success of the One Belt Run Road, as well as other endeavors by China to project power actually depends on uh, the strength of the Chinese economy. So in in theory, and in fact, the GDP growth rate will be 6.5 this year. Uh, However, the Chinese economy is heavily dependent still on government investment, on on state injection of cash in areas such as infrastructure, uh, real estate, and so forth. Uh, As a result of which, the economy is heavily indebted to the tune of about three times GDP. And according to various experts, the uh, bad debt ratio of the state banks uh, could be as high as 25%. So if such ambitious intercontinental uh, infrastructure projects, such as the China-Pakistan economic corridor, the China's massive investments in ports and uh, other facilities in Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, uh, Indonesia, and so forth, Uh, are predicated upon uh, Chinese generosity, generous Chinese aid, economic aid, and so forth, then whether Beijing can continue to project its power depends on the strength of the economy. And the economy is facing uh, tremendous problems because there's been talk about restructuring for the past 20 years. But uh, despite strides which uh, have been made in certain uh, high-tech sectors, including uh, artificial intelligence, robotics, and so forth. Basically, it is an old model uh, depending on government investments in key sectors such as, such as infrastructure. So it is well understood, I think, even by Xi Jinping's colleagues that economic success, economic reform in China cannot be accomplished without commensurate uh, political reform. But at this stage, 
we see no possibility that with its power enhanced at the 19th Party Congress, we will see meaningful uh, economic uh, reform. How do you reconcile, actually, these two very different approaches? That on the one hand, um, China is trying very hard to cast itself in the role of a responsible global stakeholder. And on the other hand, uh, the absence of reform and a very inflexible Leninist party system. How do these two things go together? Well, there's a serious uh, Achilles heel in China's uh, overarching, ambitious uh, project to project itself as the norm setter uh, on the global scene. China is not known as following international rule, international values and so forth, even though in domestic propaganda, the state leadership has dismissed those as rules laid down by the US. However, such international norms, such as rule of law, such as freedom of expression, such as freedom of access to the internet, Well, these uh, are actually international values observed in many Asian countries, including uh, much poorer ones uh, around China. So I think in the soft power department, uh, China suffers a tremendous deficit. And that is until Beijing is willing to um, prove to the outside world that it is willing to abide by international norms, including um, human rights covenants, of the United Nations to which uh, Beijing has acceded, then this uh, high power projection, which is basically predicated upon uh, economic aid uh, and also China's military strength, will not go very far. Well, the the latest uh, results of the Pew Research Institute in the US uh, seems to show that China's global popularity has gained at the expense of the US. However, in the longer term, unless Beijing is willing to um, make major adaptations in its outlook on uh, on rule of law, on freedom of religion, freedom of expression, uh, which are after all laid down in the Chinese constitution, then despite the fact that many small and developing countries have become dependent on Chinese economic aid, people around the world will start asking questions as to whether these uh, examples of the assertion of Chinese might might be a form of neo-imperialism. Well, already countries in Asia, for example, Sri Lanka, Myanmar, uh, countries in Africa, which have been uh, the beneficiary of uh, Chinese aid, have been rebelling against apparent efforts by Chinese state-owned multinationals to dominate uh, the local economic and even political scene. So I think unless Beijing is ready and willing to address this soft power deficit, its very ambitious goal to re-establish China's position as the Middle Kingdom would face tremendous challenges. So with all this investment and the pushback that you just pointed out, um, they're not really then forging new alliances. They might buy, I don't know, not even friendship, but they are buying dependency. Well, Beijing has gone a long way since the days of Mao Zedong and also since the 1950s. Under the very capable late uh, Prime Minister Zhou Enlai, Beijing signed on in, in the early 50s to the five principles of peaceful coexistence, uh, the gist of which is non-interference in the internal affairs of other countries and certainly non-domination. That means China will not 
ever emerged as the new imperialist. However, the recent uh, very assertive efforts made by China, for example, to build a military port in Gwadar in western Pakistan, uh, to build another military base in Djibouti in northwestern um, Africa, and also Beijing's blatant disregard for the ruling of the international court regarding its claims to the South China Seas. Well, these are examples which would stoke the flames of the so-called China threat theory. So weaker countries around Asia, including the 10 ASEAN members, uh, at this stage, they seem to be uh, following China's leadership, if only because uh, China is the major source of economic aid and also China is the largest trading partner for many of these countries. However, unless China is willing to show the world that it is willing to observe uh, international law, that it is not using its economic might to um, push its way ahead to become the arbiter of the Asia-Pacific region uh, with the ultimate aim of marginalizing American influence, I think this hard and soft power projection will meet substantial resistance. And of course, there's also the danger that uh, China might take on too much with that ambitious Belt and Road Initiative, with all the activities around the world. Um, is there a danger that they are overstretching uh, their own abilities? Regarding global projects such as the Belt and Road Initiative, that is obviously an element of uh, what one Chinese um, political scientist called uh, a strategic overdraft. Well, the Belt and Road, for example, is a super ambitious project. According to various consultancies, the uh, improvement of the infrastructure in just Asia and Africa alone would require 2 trillion US to 3 trillion US dollars. That means in equivalent dollars, about 12 times which the US spent on the Marshall Plan for resuscitating the European economy uh, after World War II. So uh, despite the fact that Beijing has the largest foreign exchange reserves in the world, a bit more than 3 trillion uh, US dollars, it is possible that Xi Jinping might have beaten off much more than China can chew. And this goes back also to uh, the domestic scene in China. One of the problems with the decision-making process of Xi Jinping is that it is highly personal, well, dictatorial, if you will. That is not enough consultation with stakeholders within China. In the past five years, Xi Jinping has arrogated decision-making powers to about one dozen so-called central leading groups at the apex of the Communist Party. Well, these are very secretive organizations whose decision-making is totally non-transparent. Regarding the One Belt One Road, which is very expensive, that is zero consultation with China's parliament, the National People's Congress. And uh, in the domestic media, we have seen total censorship of the views of Chinese economists, Chinese engineers, who have doubts about the One Belt One Road. In fact, the propaganda machinery has shut off all domestic criticism of the One Belt One Road. In light of these developments, it is difficult to be optimistic about the eventual success of Beijing's uh, ambition to replace the United States as the world leader and also the uh, rule setter uh, in international affairs.
So then finally, uh, let's return to where we started off, the 19th Party Congress. It is, of course, mainly about domestic issues. But do you expect any foreign policy signals from the meeting? What should we look out for? One important development of the 19th Party Congress is that Xi Jinping is emphasizing his control over the People's Liberation Army because, as Mao Zedong said, the power grows out of the barrel of a gun and Xi Jinping wants to tell his real and potential adversaries in the party that uh, he has a tight grip over the barrel of the gun. So already in the two months before the party congress, he has promoted a dozen odd of his uh, protégés and cronies to the top echelons of the um, People's Liberation Army. And in return for the general support, it is very likely that Xi Jinping will give members of the top brass a much bigger say in foreign policy. And this has been manifested already in the past few years in the fact that Beijing is pursuing a more militaristic foreign policy. That means foreign policy, which is backed by China's formidable arsenal of sophisticated weapons. So this is not a very good sign for Xi Jinping's so-called win-win scenario because it is perceived by weaker countries that China is using both its economic and military power to uh, press its agenda on weaker countries. So a bigger role, maybe, for the military in Chinese foreign policy. Xi Jinping, the 19th Party Congress and China's changing role in the world. Professor Lam, thanks a lot for your analysis and Insights, that was Professor Willy Lam of the Chinese University of Hong Kong and author of numerous books on China. I'm Ruth Kirchner. Thanks for listening and bye for now. You have been listening to Merrick's Experts, the podcast from the Makata Institute for China Studies in Berlin. If you want to learn more about our work, please visit us at merricks.org.